Well, brethren, good morning. Pastor Sarver, thank you for that selection. Uh, I view that hymn as a fine statement of the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Pastor Sarver is correct as I thought ahead uh, to my own funeral. That is one hymn that I have selected uh, to be sung. A friend with whom I occasionally correspond by email, a friend who for decades has been a frontline warrior for the gospel in this area. He often signs off his messages with the single word, Shalom. And perhaps that's not too uncommon. In the word of God, the concept, the sense of Shalom signifies well-being. It signifies completeness, soundness. I believe, as in fact the NAS sometimes translates it, well-being perhaps captures its essence as well as any description. Now, My friend's use of shalom reflects how it's also used in the Word of God, the Old Testament. For instance, in 1 Samuel 25, it is used with the sense of signing off or farewell. And to a church with whom I've had a relationship from nearly the very beginning of arriving in the area in the first part of 1977. Well, in that sense, I say to you, Shalom. Farewell, my brethren. Shalom again, that deep sense, that transcending sense of well-being that stabilizes even amidst the changing circumstances, the tumultuous circumstances of our lives. That calm, stable, settled sense that we find in the refrain of Horatio Stafford's great hymn, number 580, in your Trinity hymnal, in the refrain we find the words, it is well with my soul. That captures the sense of shalom. 
We find in our Old Testaments in Judges 6 at verse 24, the Lord is shalom. And in Jeremiah 29 at verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for shalom, welfare, peace, and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. In Numbers 6 at verse 24, the priestly Blessing, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. In our Psalter, it's Psalm 29 at verse 11. The Lord will bless his people with shalom. Perhaps this morning you would agree that events of the recent years have challenged a felt, sensible possession of shalom. Events of of recent years have been the occasion, instead of shalom, of turbulence and disturbance and agitation and fear and foreboding. We can think back to the pandemic, to the threat it posed to one's health, and perhaps even more as we think back to the response to the pandemic, the perplexity that perhaps you share with me, who can I believe and what? is credible in the way of believing. We think back to the COVID pandemic and the impact upon constitutional liberties, the collateral damage wrought by executive orders, and in our own churches, the potential conflict and division over the various protocols and the wide spectrum of opinion, member to member. All of that could well challenge what the Old Testament writers convey by this word shalom. We could think of the state of our nation what appears to be its rotting culture. We can think of our economy, inflation, crime, and perhaps for some of us, certainly for me, I'll speak just for me, In my 70-plus years, I don't think I've ever known such a radically divided citizenry that I believe was borne out by the recent elections. 
we could further think of the moral insanity, the depths of which seem to get greater and greater. All of this, and then added to it, circumstances in our own lives, our health. I can speak quite personally to that. Since the last time I was with you, heart attack. Recent years, suffice it to say, may have been for you years that displaced shalom with upheaval inside, with doubt, with troubling concerns and tension, maybe even broken sleep. And yet the promise to the people of God is shalom. Isaiah, and the text was read earlier this morning, Isaiah 9 at verse 6, the prince of Shalom is the underlying language. And further in Isaiah, or excuse me, in Micah's prophecy, this one will be our Shalom, that shepherd king that Micah prophesied. The humble king about whom Zechariah said he will speak shalom to the nations. And at his birth in Bethlehem, the angelic choir praised God saying glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among men with whom he is pleased. And of the gift of peace given to his people on the basis of the peacemaking work of Mary's son who will save his people from their sins, Jesus, Emmanuel, the word who became flesh, the fullness of deity and bodily form. He said this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, interpreted, not a peace dependent on externals, be they government policy, the economy, election results, health, family concerns, etc., not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Again in John 16 at verse 33, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. That's an indicative. That's an affirmation. That's a fact. 
In the world you have tribulation. That is our life, our life in a fallen world. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Now, brethren, with your Bibles open, I ask you now to turn to Isaiah's prophecy. And if you have the outline, it might be helpful to keep it nearby. A little bit about Isaiah's prophecy. In Isaiah, we find the significant term shalom in some 25 occurrences, which is roughly about 10% of the total occurrences in the Old Testament. Shalom is used in connection with the person, the work, the reign, and the covenant of the prince of Shalom. A little background on Isaiah's prophecy. Perhaps nothing you're unfamiliar with. Isaiah, the name means the salvation of Yahweh. And we can say summarily that's the theme of Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah prophesied, Isaiah 1-1, during the reigns of four kings of Judah, a period of time from about 740 down to 680 B.C. Yes, he prophesied of judgment upon the northern kingdom of Israel, and this occurred during his lifetime at the hands of the Assyrians in 722. He prophesied of judgment on several other nations, chapters 13 through 23. The day of the Lord, the message is, shall come upon all the godless nations of men. And we should add, yes, and on our own. And perhaps we're there now with the Romans 1 variety of judicial abandonment. Isaiah also prophesied of judgment upon the southern kingdom of Judah at the hands of the Babylonians and then of judgment upon the Babylonians also. Generally speaking, the message of judgment is found in chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah's prophecy. But Isaiah has another message that is pervasive and dominant. And that is the salvation of the Lord. Deliverance, salvation, yes, from the Babylonian captivity, the end of chapter 48, the beginning of chapter 45, but a much greater salvation accomplished by chapter 7, verse 14, Emmanuel, who is later called the obedient servant of the Lord who will accomplish salvation that extends in the language of Isaiah 45, 22, to the ends of the earth and reaches its consummation, Isaiah 66, in the new heavens and the new earth. And thus the appeal, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Chapters 40 through 66 begin this way. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. And this portion of Isaiah centrally 
has this salvation as its theme. The comfort is grounded in the coming Messiah about whom, as you know, there is considerable prophecy as to his birth, his person, his substitutionary atoning work, the benefits of that work. And 700 years later, after Isaiah, this prophesied Messiah took upon himself true manhood, entered history, accomplished that prophesied work. And the New Testament is replete with references to Isaiah's prophecies. The New, Testament's, the New Testament writers quote Isaiah by name 21 times more than all the other prophets combined. Very early in Jesus' great Galilean ministry, when he came into Nazareth, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And he reads from Isaiah 61. We read there in Luke chapter 4, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And on the quotation goes, drawn out of Isaiah 61. You're familiar with Acts chapter 8, verses 28 and following. Philip came upon a court official of the queen of Ethiopia, traveling from Jerusalem in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Reading from chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. The Ethiopian responded to Philip, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, from the section of Isaiah that the Ethiopian was reading, he preached Jesus to him. Isaiah's prophecy is primarily about the saving person and work of the Prince of Peace. Peace being a primary blessing, freely bestowed upon one who calls upon that one who will abundantly pardon. Peace, shalom, grounded in the finished work of the Prince of Peace. Well, brethren, now with your outline before you, we come to the first of five headings. And the first is this. Shalom is found in the person and under the reign or the rule of the divine Davidic king. Our text, again read earlier, Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7. In the context of the darkness which characterized Israel, the Lord through his prophet promised a great light that would extend to the Gentiles, verses 1 to 5 of Isaiah 9, and this light of the world would shine forth in the person of a child who later would declare, I am the light of the world. 
reading from Isaiah 9 at verse 6. For a child will be born to us. And I inject that further revelation about this child can be found by looking back two chapters, chapter 7 to verse 14. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Shalom. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This prince, this sovereign, again as Micah set forth of the shepherd king, is... Our shalom. He is, in view of the epistle to the Hebrews, analogous to Melchizedek, king of peace. And this is so because he has conquered and removed the cause of war. Sin. Sin has caused a holy enmity between God and man. And sin has caused an unholy enmity between man and God. God's holy wrath is upon men. And man's unholy hostility, rebellion, is toward God. Yet, as the Apostle Paul informs us in the Roman letter, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. We have now received the reconciliation. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As the apostle wrote to the Colossians, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Going back to Isaiah chapter 26 at verse 12, Lord, thou wilt establish shalom for us. Since thou hast also performed for us all our works. E.J. E. Young writes, and I quote, He has done all that is essential and necessary. And that is in the prophesied Prince of Shalom for our perfect peace and well-being. Here, herein is a triumphant statement of the wonder of salvation in the Lord. Not in government. 
not in education, not in the state of the economy, not in the state of my health, in the Lord, man finds all that he needs for true peace. That stabilizing, circumstantial, transcending peace. And having procured it, we learn from Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, his is a kingdom of peace which includes men and women of all sorts, verse 7, no end to the increase. It expands till we come to that glorious description in the apocalypse of the New Testament, every tribe and nation and tongue. It includes a work and service of righteousness, Isaiah 32 at verse 17. It includes a peaceful habitation, Isaiah 32, 18. It is in the language of Isaiah 66, 12, peace like a river. That must be where Horatio Spafford borrowed that lyric. Peace like a river, deep, abundant in supply, flowing, transcending. Granted, it's not a peace, as John tells us, that the world gives. The world's peace is not of that quality. Shalom is found, my brethren, in the person and under the reign of the divine Davidic king. Now, secondly, following the tracks of the prophet Isaiah, shalom is affected, accomplished, produced, by the substitutionary, penal suffering of my servant. The obedient, messianic servant of the Lord. Again in Isaiah 26, 12, Isaiah, looking into the future, says, Lord, thou wilt establish peace for us. In Isaiah 45, 7, in the context of Isaiah prophesying about the Lord's relation to the Persian king Cyrus and his conquest of Babylon, he says of the Lord that he is the one causing well-being. That's what shalom is, well-being. Again, E.J. Young, the word includes, that is the underlying word shalom, includes wholeness and well-being. Well, how does the Lord establish shalom for us? Well, Isaiah 52, beginning at verse 13 and going through the end of chapter 53, answers Note in chapter 53 at verse 5. But he was, that is the obedient servant of the Lord, he was pierced through. Suffice it to say, that's the language of violent death. He was pierced through for our transgressions. 
for my rebellion against the law of God. He was crushed. It's a language of being broken and destroyed, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening, that is the infliction of the rod of divine justice, the punishment demanded, the chastening, and now note, for our well-being, literally our shalom. The chastening for our well-being. To personalize for my welfare and your safety and your soundness. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. There's the accomplishment. There's how the Lord will establish shalom for us. Again, E.J. Young, because of our sins, God was not at peace with us. If he was at peace with us, if he was at peace with us, there would not be chastisement. We deserve that chastisement. But it fell not upon us, but upon the servant. In our place, he was punished. And inasmuch as he was punished, justice satisfied. Law vindicated, I add. God was at peace with us. He could be at peace with rebel sinners, with his name vindicated and his law upheld. And the necessary means of effecting this peace is further developed. In verse 6 of Isaiah 53, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And at verse 8b, he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. The stroke was due to me. I'm the offender. And it fell upon the back of the Prince of Peace. That peace might be established. At verse 11b, my servant will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. And at verse 12, he himself bore the sins of many. In summary, brethren, by the substitutionary, penalty-bearing, justice-satisfying death of Christ, God's just enmity and wrath has been put away. The perfect righteousness of Christ has been put to the account of believing sinners. One is justified, one is acquitted, pardoned, declared righteous before, and by the one lawgiver and judge, alienation, rupture, distance, enmity have been exchanged for harmony and friendship. 
and peace. In the language of Paul to the Corinthians, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. Spafford's great hymn again, My Sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. I do not bear the guilt. I do not bear the condemnation. I do not bear the due curse. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Why? Because that accomplishment was all of him and none of us. And then the refrain, it is well with my soul. Well, thirdly, brethren, as we move forward in this outline, shalom. Shalom is a certain blessing of the covenant confirmed and enacted by the vicarious sufferings of Christ. Coming to Isaiah 54, the prophet sets forth the blessings of the people of God in consequence of the servant's sufferings described in the previous chapter. And in verse 10, For the mountains may be removed, and the hills may shake. But my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of shalom, my covenant of peace, will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. The covenant referenced is described in Isaiah 53 at verse 3 as an everlasting covenant. And at Isaiah 59 at verse 21, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit is upon you. And again in Isaiah 61, 8, an everlasting covenant. I offer, when you shine the light of Ezekiel's prophecy, chapters 34 and 37, excerpting, and I will make a covenant of peace with them. And again, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And we add to that the matter of the pouring out of the Spirit upon them. We ask the question, what covenant are we talking about? We're talking about the new covenant. The covenant Jeremiah prophesied of. The covenant described in Hebrews chapter 8 with its certain immutable blessings of justification, sanctification, the the saving knowledge of God, summarized by Isaiah in one apt word. Shalom. Peace. 
pardon, holiness, the welfare of the soul wrought by our Lord's enacting this eternal covenant. Now, fourthly, shalom is also our message. It is our message of good news proclaimed to men in the context of deliverance that transcends that deliverance from Babylon. The Lord says this in Isaiah 52 at verse 7. And maybe your minds will run to something Paul said. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announce shalom and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. And who in a very well-known New Testament passage excerpts from what was just read? Again, the Apostle Paul in Romans 10 at verse 15. He makes clear his understanding of Isaiah's words. And following the hermeneutic of the Apostle. What is the message of the Gospel? What is the message of the Word of Christ? Well, going back to Isaiah, we can summarize it when it's understood properly. It's the message of shalom to sinners. It's the message of the reconciling work of God in Christ. Accordingly, the angelic choir of Luke 2 at verse 14, in response to that good news of a great joy, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And they then sang of on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. In Acts 10 and verse 36, the apostle Peter in Cornelius' household, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. Paul writing to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 17, quoting Isaiah 57, 19, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near. And I, in Ephesians 6, at verse 15, the gospel is the gospel of peace. That's our message. In Isaiah's language, in Isaiah's description, the message of those who are on the mount, whose feet upon the mountains bringing good news, it's a message of peace. It's our message to our fellow mortals. In the language of the apostle, again, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ 
be reconciled to God. Maybe in the providence of God at this season of the year, when minds, at least for a moment or two, are directed to the incarnation, maybe there'll be opportunities that we don't have at other times. Let's be alert to the opportunities to bring this message of shalom in Christ to our fellow mortals. And I would further add, beware of any other offer of shalom, any offer of peace, not based on the work, the merits, the death, the grace of Christ, to think ourselves at peace with God without whole-souled, exclusive reliance upon the prince of shalom is a delusion and a fiction and a false peace. And in this connection, twice, the Lord says through Isaiah, there is no peace for the wicked. None. They live and die in their unholy hostility and rebellion against the God of peace. Well, now, fifthly, shalom is the possession and experience. And I should add, the sensible, speaking now subjectively, the sensible, the conscious, the felt experience, not of a mind that's wandering here and there and all over the place, but of a trusting Focused disposition, a ruling disposition in the inner man, notwithstanding the turbulence that perhaps is all around us. This shalom, this sense of soundness and well-being and harmony and a confidence in one's welfare, all based on the work of Christ. It is the possession and the sensible experience, and maybe I could change the description, of a disciplined focus of mind. Now our text is Isaiah 26, a text that perhaps we are most familiar with in the King James rendering of it, and you will see that printed at the bottom of the outline. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And now the imperative, trust ye in the Lord forever. 
For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Now, a little more expansion upon this fifth heading. We took time at home to look in some detail at the context. I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version of that if I can without getting confused. The larger context of Isaiah 26 verses 3 and 4 is a section of prophecy that goes all the way back to chapter 13. And this section of prophecy contains judgment upon and the fall of a series of named nations beginning with Babylon. That extended prophecy that actually goes through in the big picture, chapter 27, transitions to an expression of praise as chapter 25 begins. The just overthrow of the proud nations and peoples of the earth, the deliverance and perfected redemption of God's people, Note chapter 25 leads to praise. O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will give thanks to thy name, for thou hast worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. And these wonders include plans of judgment, plans of preserving his people. And I'll simply say in verses 6 through 8, There are three portions of verses 6 through 8 that are brought into the New Testament by New Testament writers. We find these sections in 1 Corinthians 15.54, in Revelation 19.9, in Revelation 21 at verse 4. And the light they cast seems to indicate that Isaiah's prophecy is taking us now to the end of the age, to the consummation. And praise is being given to God. Well, back to chapter 26. Let's look at the promise beginning at verse 3. And reading from the authorized, thou, that is God the Lord, referring back to verse 4, thou wilt keep him, keep, maintain, preserve, cause to continue in a given condition or place. Now, the condition to be unfolded is shalom. Thou will keep him, and there just a word about a bit of a challenge in interpretation. Is it singular him, or is it plural nation? Well, I offer 
If it's plural nation, then the corporate piece includes the individual citizens of that corporate entity. In other words, however read, the promise applies to the individual believer. Thou will keep him, the nation, the individual believer, to bring into the new covenant, the church, the members of the church, that will keep him in perfect peace. And in the underlying language, we have a repetition of shalom. That will keep him in shalom, shalom. A way of powerfully emphasizing the peace that God preserves his people in when they're stayed on him. Thou will keep him whose mind is stayed on thee. The idea of stayed is the idea of leaning upon, resting upon. It's translated in other places of our Old Testament, braced, relied, rest, support. It's kind of like my wife, who's a veteran of joint replacement surgeries, and when she comes home, she leans upon, she's braced by as she endeavors to walk without falling. Maybe upon my arm, maybe upon the railing going down the stairwell. Well, that's something of the picture. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. The idea of casting one's weight upon for support and stability. Again, in the language of E.J. Young, it is a mind or disposition that is well stayed or steady. The disposition is stayed on God. The opposite of the human mind swaying in fear, buffeted about, carried by every wind of doctrine. And I'll include parenthetically by every news report, so-called news, every newly announced outrage, some group outraged about this, outraged about that, some rumor, some message on social media, That if you give yourself to, you're thrown off balance by fear, by uncertainty, by anxiety, by disappointment. No, there's got to be a disciplined mind, a focused mind. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is not driven here and there. By all of that. But his mind is braced. Focused upon thee. Thou will keep him again in perfect peace. 
shalom, shalom. The doubling of the words signifying deep, unsurpassed peace, peace in its superlative sense. And in Isaiah's prophecy, that peace grounded in and produced by the saving work of the obedient servant of the Lord. And the reason for the stayed mind, because he trusteth in thee, that is, amidst the shifting sands of life circumstances, the ups and downs of life, the changes in life, this man trusts God his Savior, his sovereignty, his wisdom, his power, his promises. And thus his mind is stayed amidst all manner of life's vicissitudes. He settled the matter of the object of his trust. Not in princes, not in policies, not in Albany, not in Washington, and again, not in health. The psalmist in Psalm 112 at verse verse 7, he will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld, stayed. He will not fear. And again in the 31st Psalm, But as for me, I trust in thee, O Lord. I say, thou art my God, my times, the times, if the Lord preserves us to 2023 and all the the events that will unfold, my times are in thy hand. And thus as every day, each day unfolds with its challenges, with its daunting developments, with its surprises, with its tribulations, with temptations to anxiety and fear, the believer's mind leans for support and balance upon the Lord, his strength, and his rock. Matthew Henry writes, let us make ourselves easy by trusting in the Lord forever. Since God has promised peace to those that stay themselves upon him, let us not lose the benefit of that promise, but repose in entire confidence on him. Trust in him forever at all times. When you have nothing else to trust to, trust in him for that peace, that portion, which will be forever. Whatever we trust to the world for, It'll be for a moment. All we expect from it is confined with the limits of time. But what we trust in God for will last as long as we shall last. Brethren, I'll leave you with a few exhortations this morning. The same ones I set before our brethren. If you want this mind stayed on thee, Beware 
of overdosing on what now passes for news. Report after report expressing crisis after criticism, after charge, after controversy, the rotten fruits of a society that is, that is deeply divided and given over, quite possibly, to self-destruction. You indulge it, and you drive yourself to despair. You sicken yourself. Beware of overdosing on what is fed the citizenry by the media. And then secondly, let the word of Christ dwell within you, as Paul writes to the Colossians, richly. Perhaps... As one calendar year closes and a new one dawns, maybe you do a little reorganization. Perhaps it even entails your format for your daily communion with God. Saturate your minds with the word of Christ. Matthew 6.34, that word includes this, each day has enough trouble of its own. That's life in a fallen world, shouldn't surprise us. But the great promise of 2 Corinthians 12.9 is, my grace is enough for you. Enough trouble, that's a given. You don't get up in the morning praying for trouble, it'll find you. Enough trouble? but enough grace. In all the events of our lives, Romans 8.28, our ultimate good, conformity to the image of Christ. Let the word of Christ, not the network news, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And thirdly, amidst all the evil tidings which may come to us in the next calendar year, remember this succinctly stated truth in Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is the helmsman of history. History is moving toward its consummation. And its consummation, there's the realization of what the writer to the Hebrews calls the promise of the internal inheritance. The new Jerusalem, the city of the living God, come down to earth. No more tears, no more death. Death is swallowed up. Righteousness prevails. The Lord reigns. And he's directing history to its appointed end. Amidst the storms and the winds and the waves of 2023, let us be renewed in our trust in the one 
whom the winds and the waves even obeyed. Hush, he said, peace be still. To you, my brethren, we've been sister churches for going on 46 years. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Shalom. Let us pray. Father, may we be renewed this morning to focus the faculties of the inner man upon the Prince of Peace, upon the great work He accomplished that wrought that soundness and completeness and harmony may we give ourselves more and more to him his word his truth his saving work and less and less to those matters that assail our faith and our peace. And Father, even in this season of the year, when perhaps for a few moments the attention of our fellow mortals is directed to the Lord Jesus, may we be alert to seize the moment to speak to them of the gospel of peace. Father, may the Holy Spirit working with the word renew us in the sensible, felt, shalom, shalom. That is the experience of those whose minds are braced by and stayed upon thee. Lord, may the best years of the Albany Baptist Church Be the years that are yet ahead. May these brethren build on the solid foundations of truth laid in decades past. May they continue to be a bright light for Christ in this needy capital city. Amen.